Hello and welcome to the University of Minnesota Swine Extension podcast series, known as Minnesota Swine and You podcast. Today is an industry update on E. coli. My name is Sarah Sheik Belke, and I'm a swine extension educator with the University of Minnesota. Joining me today is Dr. Hans Koink and Paul Skartweet from Arco Labs. If the two of you want to introduce yourselves, then the audience knows who I've got with me today and a little background. Yeah, I will start. My name is Paul Skartweet, uh, Director of Sales for Arco Laboratories. I have been in the swine industry uh, over 25 years, have a, a very, very deep passion for the, the swine industry and the people in the swine industry. And I uh, graduated from Iowa State University with a degree in ag studies and grew up on a, a rural Iowa farm uh, raising pigs, sheep, and cattle. Yeah, my name's Hans Koink. I'm a veterinarian with Arco Laboratories Technical Services. I've been with the company for 20 years, uh, was heavily involved in um, the licensing of, of the E. coli vaccines that we make. I graduated from Iowa State University in, in uh, the year 2000 and uh, really enjoy working with agriculture, the people of agriculture and uh, working here in the Midwest. It's a great place to be. And uh, we're really excited to be here today to talk to your listeners, Sarah, because because we think this is a really germane topic to what's going on in, in the industry today. So the timing of it is really good. So thanks for uh, allowing us to be here with you. And uh, we're excited to get started. Yeah, and I'm excited to have the two of you on as well and to talk a little bit about E. coli and what's going on in the industry. So like mentioned, today's topic is E. coli, and that's becoming to be more of a problem in the pork industry, especially in those post-weaning pigs. Why is that? Why are we hearing and, and seeing about this? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely become more of a hot topic over the last, especially the last year, year and a half. Uh, e. coli has always been a health challenge in pork production, no doubt, for many, many years. Um, but just recently, over the last year or two, it's definitely ramped up in terms of its intensity, in terms of the, the disease that it's causing and the severity of the disease. And I think the prevalence as well across the industry is increasing. The good news is, and I want to make this very clear to everybody listening, that uh, we're not talking about the kind of E. coli that infects people and makes people sick. So nobody needs to worry about uh, getting E. coli from pigs or from pork or anything like that. So just want to make that clear right out of the gate. Uh, but the E. coli that we are talking about here uh, do cause problems in pigs and only in pigs. Now, that being said, um, these pig-specific E. coli's have become a bigger problem for swine. Uh, especially in that post-weaning period, as you mentioned, over the past year, year and a half. So I think it's really a timely topic to talk about. The disease itself, I think, which we'll get into a little bit, how that works. And then also why we think this trend has occurred and, and uh, maybe how we, can, how we can tackle it. 
thank you for clarifying about E. coli and that what we're going to be talking about today is one that affects pigs and it, it's not one that we have to worry about in terms of humans. Um, because you're right, in the news occasionally we'll we'll hear about you know food recalls and stuff like that. So thanks for pointing out that difference there. Absolutely. Now, is there a certain type of E. coli that is affecting the pork industry currently? There are two major types of E. coli. We, we, when we talk about post-weaning E. coli, which is really the subject here, there's a, there's a variety called an F18 E. coli, which is pretty commonly known in the industry, I think. And then K88 E. coli. Uh, K88 sometimes is referred to as F4 or type F4 in some regions of the world. But I think in the U.S., we still use the term K88 a lot. Um, and these are organisms that really cause a gut infection. They get into the gut of the pig. And one of the things they do, which is really uh, the source of the disease, is they produce these toxins in the gut. And those toxins get into the cells in the gut. And sometimes they get across the cells and they make pigs sick. And these toxins can cause scours. Uh, which is, you know, just basic diarrhea, which pigs just don't do well when they have diarrhea and they don't feel good. They don't eat as much. They don't gain weight. And then they also cause a couple of other types of diseases, probably the most notable one, especially the one that's been the more of the hot topic over the last year and a half is this edema disease or sometimes known in the field as swollen pig disease. What we see in a clinical picture a lot of times is just uh, we'll walk into a barn and you'll see these big, great looking pigs just found dead with no, no warning, no uh, clinical signs prior to that. But they're the, they're the best pigs in the building. It's one of the things that makes this disease so frustrating. Um, the F-18 E. coli uh, has become especially challenging over the past year. And, and so this is the one that we'll focus on today, although Katie causes a lot of problems in its own right. F-18 is the one that's, um, that's the most hot in terms of the topic. So it's commonly associated with two different issues. The most devastating is the one we talked about, edema disease or swollen pig, uh, which we have seen up to 50% mortality in a nursery phase. So if you can imagine Sarah walking into a barn one day, everything looks great. And the next day you've lost 20% of the pigs the next day you walk in, you lost another 20% and then maybe 10% the day after. That's what this thing looks like. It's just very, very deadly. And the other part of F18, to make it even more frustrating, is that it causes scours as well. So it, it has these tools, these toxins that can cause this edema disease. Um, and then it also has these other toxins that it can produce that cause diarrhea. So you get kind of a what I call a double whammy with this thing. Both, uh, both the scours and the, the swollen pig. Um, so, so yeah, it's a, it's a nasty disease and, and it's very tough and it seems to be pretty prevalent and it's hard to get rid of. So just to get in a little bit of how these E. coli cause disease, and I alluded to it a little bit there, but there's, there's two parts to the disease. One is these E. coli, these virulent E. coli, the F18 and the K88 for that matter, they both in order to produce disease, they have to stick to the gut wall. So they have to get in and they have to get, 
stick to the wall of the gut. The way they do that is they have these things called pillus. So the F18 pillus is this protein that's on the outside surface of the E. coli. And there's kind of a puzzle piece in the pig's gut called the F18 receptor that it fits perfectly to. And so when it sticks to that receptor, it allows it to hang on to the gut. All this other stuff swimming around in the gut, but this F18 coli can hang on to the gut and not get washed out. And so it, it can sit there. That in itself doesn't cause disease. What causes the disease is that the E. coli has a bunch of genes in it that can produce toxins. And so the toxins aren't a real big deal if they're just produced out in the gamish of the gut where they could just be washed out. But when they're produced in close proximity to that gut wall, you've got this E. coli hanging on for dear life on the, on the gut wall surface, and then it's producing these toxins in close proximity. Those toxins are taken up by the cells, and that's what really throws a wrench into uh, the, the system in the gut for how it reacts. There was... The other thing we've, we've seen out there is there's actually a lot of E. coli out there that we probably aren't seeing in terms of disease. There was a NOM study that was done fairly recently where we had a, a very large percentage of pigs in the U.S., about, I think, between 80 and 90 percent, where they could detect some of these toxins uh, in, the, in the samples that they took from the gut. Um, and so... I think we can also have E. coli in pigs that don't show outward disease. And this is important. It can also be a bit of a silent thief or cause what we call subclinical disease. Even though we may not be seeing clinical disease outwardly, um, it can really decrease the growth rate of some of these pigs without seeing the more of the severe, the edema disease where you're losing 20% or 30% of the pigs. You might be losing 50% of your growth rate and not see um, not see these outward signs because the, it might be at a subclinical level. So I guess in, in that way, E. coli is, can, be, uh, can be a problem both if you see these nasty signs, which is usually what we get calls about in terms of the vaccine when people see it. But um, I think the industry is starting to realize that it's also a bit of a thief in terms of weight gain. Uh, and and uh, average daily gain in terms of uh, pork production. So, so yeah, it's 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 a nasty problem, and um, we certainly I think are starting to get some idea of what's going on out there. So now you mentioned a couple different times about toxic producing genes. Can you further explain what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, well, there's been kind of an explosion of, of information and data that's come out in the last few years because of what's called whole genome sequencing. It's a, it's a newer technology. It's made our ability to look at the DNA of organisms, of people, of all kinds of living uh, things fairly easy and fairly inexpensive. And so we've got these new tools that are available to us. So we can really drill down and see what the different parts and mechanics are going on in these, in these E. coli organisms. And so um, each time a diagnostic lab might get a, an E. coli in, they can take a look at the whole genome of that, all the DNA in that organism, and determine how many toxin-producing genes are in it. And the genes are really what 
they're the building blocks for everything in the organism. They're the DNA. They're the set of DNA that produces these, uh, are translated, and then the mechanics of the organism produce these proteins, which in some cases are good proteins, but in this case, it's producing bad proteins, which are called toxins. And those are the sorts of things. So when I say toxins, I don't mean uh, alcohol or, you know, toxic substances. I'm talking about a little protein that an organism makes that makes pigs sick. Um, and that is the, that is essentially what we're talking about when we talk about toxins in this regard. Yeah. That's a good question. Thank you for clarifying that for the listeners. So as an extension educator, um, I'm always curious, you know, about the research because that's, you know, kind of the basis of, you know, my programming and, and my educational um, outreach there is being able to share research behind things in an applied manner. So what does the research say about the E. coli and specifically the one that we're talking about today that the industry is experiencing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, whenever there's a, a big problem, uh, usually that's what prompts the research. You know, as we've seen with COVID, a massive amount of research has gone into immunology and how vaccines work and things like that. And E. coli has had, you know, a similar effect, not to the same scale, but a similar effect in terms of uh, the swine industry. And so the, especially diagnostic labs and the think tanks that are out there have been taking a look at these things to determine what's going on, you know, why are these trends occurring? Why is this becoming a nastier uh, disease? And, uh, and so some of that involves speculation and theory. Uh, and sometimes we have theories that, that might be accurate and sometimes we don't. And the intersection of that is where the science comes in. And we, we use science to try and tell us uh, give us the truth as to what's actually going on. Uh, give us an indication, at least, of where to where to go. Um, and so we tend to look for that evidence uh, that's substantial and consistent. And uh, there, are, I think, there are two things that are really important in terms of what we're finding with with these E. coli's. Um, the first is that. Um, the genetic profile, we talked about this whole genome sequencing technology that we have now. Um, so we can look at a whole bunch of different genes or building blocks in these E. coli's. And there's millions of them um, in each E. coli. Uh, and so we can take a look at that and we can and look at um, how many toxin genes each E. coli actually has. And what's, what's really changed over the last few years, the, the at least based on the diagnostic lab's findings. And these are, these are good places to get information because they get lots and lots of cases in from all over the place, you know? So we can start to look at trends because they have lots of information and lots of different isolates that they can compare to each other. But the one solid trend that has been seen uh, is that the average number of toxin genes in today's E. coli, the E. coli we see today, are far more than what we used to see uh, a year ago, two years ago. And the reason for that is E. coli is really pretty good at picking up these toxin genes. Um, it's in that way, it's kind of a promiscuous organism in the gut. 
it likes to it likes to pick up these genes from other organisms swimming around in there at the same time so while this is going on the the f18 organism we see today is also becoming extremely resistant to antibiotics because it picks up genes at the same time that allow it to survive in the face of antibiotic treatment. It's a survival mechanism. Uh, it's, it's kind of evolution basically happening inside of the pig's gut. So when we're giving antibiotics, we're actually selecting for these organisms that, that are resistant because they survive, whereas the other ones die. And so we've got this population. Uh, but the way they do that is they pick up these genes that are, are parts of other organisms in the gut. E. coli is just uh, really good at doing that. So we think for that reason, because of some of the issues with the antibiotic resistance, that vaccines are really going to become probably the most effective solution to these problems going forward. So you know, with COVID vaccines being widely discussed, you know, it's a subject at every dinner table now, everybody's talking about vaccines and we got lots and lots of information from the press about how these things work, which is good because it helps us, I think in the swine industry, talk about what's going on here. It gives us a kind of a scaffolding to do that. Um, but there's been a lot of discussions about variants of F-18 because largely, I think, because it's kind of the term of the day with COVID, right? I mean, with the Delta variant and then the, the Omicron now, you know, and talking about the shifting of the virus to try to sub, subvert the immune system's response to it so that it can't, uh, so that it can survive better in the environment. Um, uh, and a lot of that has to do with contagiousness, Omicron has become um, more prevalent just because it's increased its ability to become more contagious. Uh, one of the most contagious viruses we've seen in human history. Um, but um, when we talk about variants with E. coli, what we're really talking about isn't the toxins. The toxins aren't, uh, the, the toxins are, we could maybe call those variants, but they don't have a whole lot to do with the immune system and how it how it protects against E. coli. What, when we talk about variants, if we think there might be variants, it has to do with the F18 pillus that we talked about. And again, that's that little piece on the surface that allows that organism to stick to the, stick to the uh, gut wall. And again, that doesn't cause disease by itself, but what it does is it allows the, the toxins to be produced in close proximity and that the toxins are what actually cause the disease. So really whether we have a variant or not boils down to whether that F18 pillus, the gene that's involved with that has changed. And so we wanted to do some research on our end to determine whether that was the case, um, looking at our vaccine versus these field isolates that were out there. Um, and so, the short answer is no, there, there really aren't any variants in terms of the F18 that are out there. Based on our analysis, um, several of these isolates that are shown to be extremely virulent, show very severe disease, have what we call 100% homology to the F18 portion of what's on the vaccine. So they're exactly the same. 
they haven't changed. And that's what we're looking for when we look at something like this. We're trying to figure out, well, is there some change in the DNA that's allowing this thing to mutate and become more virulent or get around the vaccine response, whatever it might be. What we're seeing is the answer to that question from our standpoint is no, we're not seeing that. Um, so this would be very supportive of the vaccine still being very efficacious, the one that we have available. It's just the disease causing F18 organism in the field may have become much more aggressive because of those increased amounts of toxins that they can produce. Thanks for making that reference to variants, because like you mentioned, yeah, with COVID and everybody talking about it, we're hearing all about these variants. And I'm sure one of the reasons that not only in the animal world, such as the pork industry that we're talking about right now, but also in the humans with the ability to profile the genetic makeup, that's allowing us to be able to see these differences that we were not able to see before. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And uh, yeah, especially with the genetic data that we have available to us now. So yeah, we have, we have a lot of tools. They're really good. Um, COVID has even become, I mean, the amount of money that's been spent on COVID has been immense and they have gotten down to the point where they can look at individual spots within that spike protein. We don't quite have that level yet uh, to look at um, the different things in veterinary medicine. But as more information comes along, we might be able to model that. And, and uh, in, the, in the future, we may be able to tell those things as well. So just based on COVID, it's been a, a, you know, it's been a horrible thing. But at the same time, as they say, you know, never uh, let a good crisis go un, uh, uncapitalized on. And so in, in terms of our, uh, our understanding of things, it's actually been quite the accelerator in terms of, of science. Overall, yeah, COVID hasn't been a good thing, but if we try to look at it positively, like you said, there's a lot of research that's happened and yes, we're using it on the human side, but a lot of times that can correspond to us on the livestock side. of Yeah. Yeah. Definitely some spillover that way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So getting back here to our E. coli specific, um, just wanting to clarify when you're saying that the toxins is what's causing the disease and not the F18, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. The, the F18 is really just a, a mechanism for the organism to attach. And we'll, we'll talk about that's important because it's actually uh, exactly how we fashion the vaccine to work. We get the vaccine to attach, but the vaccine doesn't produce those toxins. So what it does is it does what all vaccines do. It essentially tells the immune system, hey, there's something going on here. You need to react, but it doesn't cause the disease at the same time. And so you kind of get you kind of get uh, a freebie there because you you get the the immune system to think it's being attacked by something when it's really not. It's just uh, producing, but it does produce a response to the disease causing organism. And so we get, we get a benefit from that just, and that's essentially how vaccines work in general. Yeah. Yeah. So you talking about vaccines is, has got me thinking now about with the E. coli problem and treatment options. I know mm-hmm. you've probably alluded to it a little bit already, 
but what treatment options are there and, and what can be done to help reduce the incidence of the E. coli infection in pigs? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. And it's a hot topic. I mean, because we, you know, traditionally in veterinary medicine, we've, we've a lot of times pulled the syringes out of our holsters, you know, and, and, uh, use antibiotics to put out fires. And obviously over the last several years, that's become, uh, um, it has become a bit of a public issue the use of antibiotics as one health has become more prevalent people, you know, researchers realizing there is a link between animals and humans in terms of antibiotic resistance. Um, not, not to say it's completely blamed on animals in any way, shape or form. Actually animals only make a small portion of that, but we do, we do contribute, um, to in, in a, in a, in a way. And so we have to be judicious about how we use these antibiotics. And I think the industry has really embraced that um, given the, the decrease in the use of antibiotics that have occurred over the last few years. And then um, the, uh, the education that's gone into judicious use of antibiotics in general, I think the industry is doing a great job with that. But given that for E. coli in particular, um, as we said, E. coli is just this Olympic athlete at acquiring genes, uh, acquiring toxin genes, acquiring uh, antibiotic resistance genes. It's just, it's just one of the best of the best at doing that, unfortunately. And so we get a tremendous amount of resistance in E. coli and it happens very quickly. And so when we look at these organisms and we look at the antibiotic resistance panels on them, sometimes they're resistant to almost everything we have available to us, you know, and we don't have everything. We don't use every antibiotic available in science because a lot of those are now reserved for human use. Um, and so when I say that, I don't necessarily mean that we're causing a problem across the, you know, across the board with humans as well by doing that. But in terms of the antibiotics, we do have access to, it's becoming uh, a very, uh, a very severe issue. And so it's hard to get anywhere with treating pigs anymore. And the more we use these antibiotics, unfortunately, the more resistant these things get, it's just a survival mechanism. And so we're, so that has become less and less of a effective tool. There are some dietary feed adjustments that can be done. Uh, a lot of research has gone into this and there's definitely a correlation with changes in in the diets and the feed, rolled oats, um, some changes in protein sources, things like that can have a big effect on, on the ability of some of these E. coli to cause severe disease. And uh, so no doubt the changes in rations can make a difference. I'm not a nutritionist. So uh, I think, you know, most people would be better off to listen to somebody who's an expert on that particular subject than me, but I'll just, I'll just keep it at that, that dietary definitely does play a role. Um, vaccination, which is in our wheelhouse here, uh, is something that has become very, very uh, attractive in this particular disease uh, segment because we don't have to use antibiotics, or at least it, it decreases our need to use antibiotics by training the pig's immune system to essentially um, react to the vaccine or react to the organism before it sees it. Uh, 
and it can fight it off quickly in them. And so what we found in our research is not only does it fight off clinical disease, but when we try to isolate the disease-causing organism out of vaccinated pigs, it sheds for a lot less time. And so, so it decreases the prevalence in the population as well. And um, not, not that this is an advertisement, I just, just want to make it very simple for the listeners that um, when you're looking for a vaccine for F18 E. coli or K88, that Arco Laboratories makes the only licensed product on the market today, that product for F18 is called Edemavac, and we'll direct you at the end of the podcast as to how you can find out about that. But I don't want to belabor that. It's not a, um, a promotional uh, plug at all. And that's not the reason that's not the, um, the reason for being on this podcast more to talk about the research. But um, it's important to remember that vaccination uh, with the F18 product is very dependent on that. As we talked about the F18 pillus protein sticking to the wall of the gut, because that is the guts signal. That's the immune system signal. It says when something's sticking to the gut, that means this might be something that's going to cause a problem. So the immune system looks at that and says, okay, it's time to mount a response to this. It's time to produce antibodies, all the things that the immune uh, system produces to fight off disease. So the good news is the gut actually contains both in humans and in pigs and many species, about 70% of the total immune system in the body. It's a massive amount of immune system that's, that's in that gut. So it's just this football field. I like to say a football field of immune cells in there, just ready to do the job at the ready. And it's probably one of the reasons that these orally delivered vaccines in general work very, very well. Um, so we're, we're lucky in, in pigs and humans, we really don't have that sort of thing, you know, just because we don't drink through drinking lines and things like that. Uh, we take pills and take shots, but, um, but in pigs, it's, uh, it, it's, it's actually a benefit. It's much easier. You don't have to go through and inject all the pigs and just give it through the water line or orally. So, um, and the other reason that it's very important with this disease is because this is a gut origin disease. And so when we give a vaccine orally, it's actually producing the same sort of immune response that we would want from, um, or in terms of most efficiently for fighting off this, the disease causing organism. So we're getting kind of a natural response or the, the, uh, the response that we would want that the, the uh, the most efficient response. So the timing of the vaccination is important because the research has shown this receptor in the gut that allows the E. coli to attach shows up at about 18 days of age. That's specifically for F18. It's easy to remember because we call it F18. I don't know if that's why they call it F18 or not, but at 18 days of age, that's about the time that receptor shows up. And that's when your vaccine can stick to the wall. Before that, when pigs are younger, it, does, it's not, it doesn't work as well because you don't have that receptor there. So the vaccine just kind of runs through, it doesn't attach. Um, and that, there's probably some variation in that in biology, it's never black and white, but um, we're around on the average about 18 days of age. So it's around weaning time um, or maybe a little bit earlier. Uh, so we don't wanna vaccinate for F18 too much earlier than that because the vaccine won't stick as we talked about. 
at the same time, it's a bit of a timing game because we want to get it in early enough so that the pigs are getting vaccinated in a reasonable time before the disease causing E. coli has a chance to take hold. As we know with COVID, the time to get vaccinated is before you get COVID, not after. And so the same thing goes here, except we're working with kind of a compressed time frame. The pig's weaned, it needs to get vaccinated pretty quick because that disease is usually hits at about, especially edema disease usually hits at about four or five weeks of age. We're weaning at three, you know, so we got to get that thing in there. We don't want to be too early. We don't want to be too late. So it creates a bit of a, a conundrum sometimes. And, but we've got some solutions to that. And, and uh, so maybe we'll have a little bit of time to talk about the variation and, and how that works a bit here. But, um, but again, the, the way the vaccine works is it sticks to the wall, doesn't produce toxins, and it just fools the immune system basically into producing an immune response before the pigs get uh, exposed to the, the nasty E. coli. It's going to cause a problem. Thanks for explaining some of those um, different ways that can treat E. coli. Paul, did you have anything more that you would like to add on that? Or, or maybe it's simply where folks could find more information um, since... Arco Labs is the only one that has this vaccine available. Yeah, um, the the easiest way to to find out information for Arco Labs and uh, getting in contact with us would be our website at arcolabs.com. That's a r k o l a b s dot com, and that's a that's a great way to find us. Uh, we also have. Uh, a company called Animal Science Products that uh, is not affiliated with with Arco Labs, but it's a good way to get um, our vaccines into uh, early pigs or pigs that are still on the sow. Um, and that that you can go on to their website and and take a look at their products. And that's at asp-inc.com as well. Thank you for that. Dr. Coink, is there any anything, any closing remarks that you would uh, like to make as we close out the podcast here? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I have quite a few, but uh, I'll try <laughs> to keep it short. In terms of vaccinating, and we talked about the kind of the, there's the, the science of vaccinating, then there's the art of it, trying to find out when, especially in this timing game that we talk about, you know, when when should we be vaccinating? How can we get that vaccine in? at the right time to produce the response that we want. Uh, and then there are there any caveats to that? So COVID made us pretty aware that uh, I think the vaccines, in fact, uh, one dose works okay, two doses works great. Now we're finding out three doses may work even better uh, in terms of uh, some of these variants or whatever they might be, but with the... Uh, or maybe we just get a, a more strong response to COVID period with a third dose. But they have found that, and that's kind of a basis for immunology, the first dose that you get of a vaccine sometimes will produce enough immunity. And many times um, with the F-18 vaccine, it does. Uh, and it's, it is labeled as a single dose vaccine. But there are situations out there in the field, you know, what, what we do in the lab we, we can control a lot of things. There aren't many variables, or at least we decrease the variables. When you get out into the field with a product, 
you get introduced to a, a lot more variables because things are just done uh, based on specifics on how a certain operation might manage the pigs or how they might bring them into the building or in, in, in groups or however that might be. Sometimes with the E. coli vaccines, it might be appropriate to give a second dose. And I'll just give a couple examples of that. Of course, the best thing you can do is talk to your veterinarian about this because they are really trained in, in how these vaccines work and, uh, and, and really understand the nuts and bolts of how, how the vaccine might work the best in any particular operation because we can see variation in that. Um, but one of the variables, one thing we see is sometimes these nurseries are filled not all at the same time. So we'll get a group that comes in, they'll be 18 day, 18 to 21 days. And then we get another group that comes in maybe four days later. And then we get another group that maybe comes in to fill out the building. Well, when we talk about timing with E. coli vaccines and we're giving it through the water line, when's the best time to vaccinate those pigs? Should you wait until all those pigs get into the building? Or should you vaccinate the first group and then wait till you fill and give, give another dose? And that really has to do with, you know, how severe is the problem? What's the challenge? How heavy is the challenge? You know, what ages, what span of ages are we talking about? But we have in those particular situations, we have seen a benefit in giving more than one dose, essentially because we're not vaccinating all the, we're trying to get the first group of pigs vaccinated. Um, and then we're trying to get the second group vaccinated. And so we might vaccinate when the first group comes in, wait, get the second group in, give another vaccine. Um, so just to get all those big vaccinated at the appropriate time, because we are playing a bit of a, a timing game, trying to get ahead of uh, the, the clinical disease itself. So that's one instance. Uh, a second consideration, and especially with these really hot F-18 coli's that we found, is giving a second dose as a booster um, may be helpful just because these organisms are so hot and produce so much toxin that it probably doesn't take quite as much of a dose for them to cause disease. And so we really need a heavy, heavy amount of immune response in that pig to begin with um, before those ever get in there. And so what we're seeing is uh, sometimes what's helpful is to give the first dose on, uh, on arrival or a day after make sure the pigs find the drinker and then wait maybe seven, eight, 10 days, give a second dose as a booster, just like with COVID as a booster type of shot. Um, that, and what that does is it, it kind of exponentially increases the immune response. It's not just a, it's not one plus one equals two with vaccines. One plus one equals 10 when you give two doses, because you get this massive exponential increase with the second dose. And that's why boosters are such a prevalent thing with vaccines. The type of a live vaccine like E. coli can produce those very high levels of immunity with just one dose, but we do get higher levels with multiple doses. So we, wanna, we want people to make sure that they're talking to their veterinarian about how um, they might, if one dose isn't cutting it, there's probably a situation where a second dose might be helpful in getting a, a booster type of response in that pig. Um, and then one of the interesting pigs, and Paul kind of alluded to it with this animal science products company, there's been some really interesting things that have come about recently 
some, and some very innovative ways to deliver oral vaccines. We've always just in the past, we've run them through the waterline or we've squirted them in their mouth. But the idea here is to get them to the gut one way or the other, you know, uh, doesn't really matter how you do it. It's just, we need to get them in there so they can attach to that gut wall. Like we, like we talked about the F18 can attach to that gut wall receptor. And so sometimes we, not, we might need to, we might in certain situations need to give the vaccine while the pigs are still on the sow. Uh, and so what's been done in the industry, some is there's this product called underline that is made by animal science products. And it's a green gel. It's, it's gelatinous, but it will flow through a sprayer, like a, just a regular garden sprayer. And you can mix the vaccine with it. It's, it's made out of materials that are very compatible to vaccines. So you can mix it with that and you can spray it on the underline of the sow while the pigs are nursing. And they really like the taste of it. So they go after it. Uh, they get vaccinated because they, they really like the taste and uh, they turn all green. And so there's a, there's a, a kind of a management factor there where you can look at them and say, yeah, I can tell they got into the stuff because the dye in the material their snouts are all, their faces are all green, you know? So it kind of gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling that you got it, that you got it done. But we have found that it's, it's been a good way to do it. There have been some people that have sprayed it on the underline with just water, um, but water, water, the advantage of this underlying product is that it, it sticks. It's kind of sticky. Water tends to just run off. And so we probably get a, the likelihood is we get a much better dose with the sticky stuff that stays on the underline where the pigs have a little time to ingest it before it runs down into the, the pit. Um, the other thing that they're coming, the same company is coming out with a product called Piggy Gel. And this is a very interesting product. It's kind of a gelatin type of solution. It's a powder, you mix it up in water, it solidifies and you can mix the vaccine up with it at the same time. And again, it's, it's conducible to, to vaccines like the F-18 E. coli vaccine. And then we can scoop that into creep feeders while the pigs are still in the sow or onto heat mats. And again, uh, what I'm told is it tastes like maple syrup. And so the pigs love it. They really go after it. They eat it and they get vaccinated at the same time. Um, and so I, that's a very new product. And I think it's actually, I don't know if it's on the market yet, but it will be soon. And uh, I think that'll be a great application too for some of these oral delivered vaccines that we want to give before these pigs um, go are weaned off the sow reasons for that are you know sometimes we're giving antibiotic shots at weaning these vaccines the f-18 vaccines are live vaccines so we don't want to kill the vaccine uh with an antibiotic shot we want to stay away from that a little bit the other thing we see is antibiotics in the feed that might, might not be conducible with the vaccine itself the vaccine is resistant to some antibiotics but it is susceptible to others and so if we've got something in the feed that's gonna kill the vaccine, we'd like to get the vaccine in before we get those pigs on feed that has the antibiotics in it. Um, so those are just some of the considerations, but there's a myriad of different things that, that can happen in pork production and, and talking to your veterinarian is a, a great way to navigate your way through those things. So, so anyway, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think that's a good place to, Kind of wrap up, but I, I think the take-home points are that the F-18 E. coli, just in general, the disease-causing organism has gotten nasty over the last year or two. And we think it's probably due to this increased toxin production, not due to variants or things that are changing with that F-18 pillus, 
but just that these organisms can cause severe disease, probably with less E. coli, just because they're so prolific at producing toxins. Um, talk to your veterinarian about how to deal with that, you know, booster doses, things like that, that have been fairly effective. Um, and the good news is over the last, at least the information we're hearing over the last few months is vaccination has become more widely adopted in the industry. And we are hearing definitely about a decrease in the severity of the E. coli and, and prevalence of the E. coli that's out there now. And so I think it's working. Um, you know, it's, that's, that's more anecdotal evidence. We haven't done a study, but that's what we're hearing in the industry when we put our ear to the, our ear to the track. So um, hopefully that will continue. I think people are adopting it as more of a kind of a, uh, a typical vaccination rather than just reacting when they have issues, which would probably lead to some other benefits as well. I think that's it. I mean, we, we're really, uh, we're really honored to be on your podcast today. I mean, I think it's been a good discussion and it's one that the industry is, is pretty interested in. So with that, we'd like to thank you, Sarah, for having us on and, uh, all the great questions and, uh, they can contact us and, and Paul has that information, I think again. So, so again, thank you for the opportunity to be on with you today. Yeah. Thank you as well for, for all of your explanation on E. coli and what's going on in the pork industry right now. And Paul, before we come to an official end here, yeah. Do you want to remind us of where listeners can find more information about the products that um, Dr. Coink talked about? Yes. Uh, the, the best way is to go to our website at arcolabs.com. That's A-R-K-O-L-A-B-S.com. Or you can even email us at arco at arcolabs.com. is another great way to, to get in contact with us. Thank you. And specifically, thank you to both Dr. Hans Quink and Paul Skartveit for speaking with me today about the current E. coli issues in the pork industry. And make sure that you check out those websites. I'd also like to thank the listeners for listening to Minnesota Swine and You podcast. This has been Sarah Sheik Belke, a swine extension educator, along with Dr. Hans Coink, as well as Paul Skartweet from Arco Labs. To further connect with the University of Minnesota Swine Extension, please visit the swine specific webpages on the University of Minnesota's Extension's website at www.extension.umn.edu backslash swine. And then on those specific pages, you'll find connections to our blog as well as Facebook page. And to further learn about research being done by our swine faculty in veterinary medicine, they have a blog as well, known as Swine in Minnesota. And that can be found at www.umnswinenews.com.